So they're going to play a Christmas medley. As you're making your way into the room, just listen, enjoy, be encouraged this morning. Well, officially, good morning, everyone. It is so good to see you all. My name's Jay. If you're a, a new here or a visitor, I'm one of the pastors, and we welcome you to City Church for our special Christmas service. I do have to make a quick announcement. <clears throat> if you parked in the lot directly across from Lucy's, they will boot you, and you don't want to park there. So I would suggest go ahead, just 
go out there. There's plenty of space in the parking garage and move your car. If something does happen and you do get booted, it's okay. Just uh, come to us, we'll help you take care of that. We're happy to do that, okay? But if you have a chance, I would say go move your car. Uh, the lot across from Lucy's, the one with the two giant trees in it. All right, we're gonna begin our service together with uh, wonderful uh, Advent reading and candle lighting. We've been doing that through our all of uh, uh, Advent season, and this is our third week of Advent. <coughs> this morning we have <coughs> two special uh, students from our youth ministry that are going to lead us in that, Danya Marino and Elijah West. Would you come up? <coughs> They're going to read a passage from Isaiah and then um, light the candles for this week. So let me grab the mic for you there, Elijah. Let us hear again the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 35, verse 5 to 10. And when he comes, he will open the eyes of the blind and unplug the ears of the deaf. The lame will leap like a deer, and those who cannot speak will sing for joy. Springs will gush forth in the wilderness, and streams will water the wasteland. The parched ground will become a pool, and springs of water will satisfy the thirsty land. Marsh, grass, and reeds, and rushes will flourish where desert jackals once lived. And a great road will go through that once deserted land, and it will be named the Highway of Holiness. Evil-minded people will never travel on it. It will, it will be only for those who walk in God's ways. Fools will never walk there. Lions will not lurk along its course, nor any other ferocious beasts. There will be no other dangers. Only the redeemed will walk on it. Those who have been ransomed by the Lord will return. They will enter Jerusalem, singing crowned with everlasting joy. Sorrow and mourning will despair, and they will be filled with joy and gladness. Okay. We light the first candle of Advent to remind us to look up and center our thoughts on a loving God who sent us his son who is coming again. We light the second candle of Advent to remind us to look back 2,000 years to the moment when God's greatest gift came to us in Bethlehem to look forward to his coming again. As we light the third candle of Advent, let us uh, remind us that this is a time to look within ourselves and prepare our hearts for the coming of Christ. All right, let's pray together. Oh God, we are looking to your coming uh, at Christmas and identifying with the people of Israel in the darkness. And we're also looking again towards your second coming when you will restore all things. God, would you center our hearts this service and this season that we would remember your mercy, your grace, your kindness towards us in Christ, and may we bring God sacrifices of praise to you out of joy, joy-filled hearts at the work of your hands. God, would you be with us this morning? Help us to remember your good gift, 
that came on Christmas. I pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to stand together. We're going to get this, uh, this we're going to sing a couple songs together to get our time started. And uh, if you're not awake yet, this probably will wake you up. So just prepare yourselves.
special treat this morning. Our children's ministry is going to share with us a couple songs in scripture that they've been working on this, this Advent season. So children, y'all are welcome to come on up.
Suddenly 
Thank you so much, kiddos. This was wonderful. Great job, everybody. As the kids are, are heading out, if you have any open seats in your row, if, you could, if you're in the middle, if you could scoot towards the middle, if you're on the sides, if you could scoot towards the walls, that'll open up some seats on the ends for folks in the back. What a wonderful problem. Thank you so much. All right, we're going to sing one more song together, and then we're gonna, we have a special, I mean, so much special stuff going on today. Would you stand, would you stand with us? We're going to sing Away in a Manger.
you may be have you may have a seat we have a special treat this morning we have an adult choir this is a first in the history of city church we've been around for almost 10 years and this is the first that we've had a choir and so we are so excited that they're going to be sharing um, a piece with us this morning and then they'll be singing with us later in the service
Good morning. Welcome to City Church. My name is Chipper. I'm one of the pastors here. We are a church aspiring to be an authentic community, walking with God in our city. Every time Jay says we're going to get another special treat, I think it's going to be a Rice Krispies or something like that. But uh, the things we've been hearing this morning have been absolutely fantastic. Thank you to our church family, which has contributed significantly. So many of you are a part of this morning. We're grateful for you. Also, thank you to those who serve. We had at least, I don't know, 40 folks in the building yesterday morning. Uh, we have a banquet, an annual banquet now to serve people in our community who are um, experiencing homelessness. So thank you for being here. Thank you for making that possible. It's a beautiful morning. Uh, I do hope that if you didn't have a chance to come, you'll come next year and be a part of it. So we're so grateful for you. This, this, this church building has been humming this entire weekend. Praise God. If you're thinking to yourself, uh, well... Why don't these guys get a little bit more space? That's a great question. So as of the end of March, we do own our building, which is a tremendous blessing from the Lord, which is, this is one of the suites. There's four suites in the entire building, uh, and we are doing a campaign right now to raise funds to renovate that building so we can use the whole thing, including the downstairs space. So uh, this Christmas season, how about uh, considering some generosity on behalf of the City Roots Project if uh, you want to have a little bit more space in this building? But we're glad you're here. It is exciting to have a tight space this morning. Uh, thank you for dealing with the parking in downtown. Uh, if, if it's stressful, you're not alone. It's, it's not always easy to park in this community, but you can do it. Um, and we thank you for, for putting up with that and, and being here this morning. We love you very much. The main thing we want to say by way of announcement is, number one, um, we want to hear from you. So there's a connection card that we put in your bulletin. Please consider pulling that out and putting a prayer request on there. That's really what we want, um, is to pray for you. So uh, put a prayer request on there. You can put your name on it. You can also make it anonymous. That's completely fine if you'd rather do that. You can put those in the seat pocket in front of you, or you can drop those cards in the brown box in the back of the sanctuary as well. Uh, we worship a generous God. Part of our responsive worship as the people of God is giving generously. Uh, you can give online, citychurchgnv.com slash give, or again, you have that brown box in the back of the sanctuary with some envelopes and some pens. Um, we do have a special Christmas schedule coming up in the life of the church that we want you to know about. Uh, the next three Sundays, so it'll be the 18th, the 25th, and January 1st, you'll be having one service at 10 a.m. So there'll be one service at 10 a.m. 
in this space, 18th, 25th, and the 1st. We will have child uh, programming from 0 to 4 years old. So 0 to 4 years old. The rest of the kids will be in here, kind of a family-style service is a delight when they are in here. Um, and so we just want you to know that so you can put that in your calendar. If you get here at 9 next week, praise God, uh, you know, uh, you can sit in here and meditate and pray and sing to yourself and all kinds of wonderful things. Um, but next three Sundays, we're going to be 10 a.m. only. So it'll be the 18th, the 25th, and the 1st. And we do have a Christmas Eve service on the night of the 24th, 5 o'clock, right in here. It's a Saturday, so we have a little bit of an earlier service, 5 p.m., right here in the sanctuary. And we will be meeting at 10 a.m. Uh, the next Sunday. We do believe in trying to keep our doors open on Sunday mornings because a lot of our church family doesn't necessarily have family to go spend time with and, and worship with on Christmas. And so this is a way to give them family is to be here and to and to worship. So I hope that we will see you at one of those services. Our scripture passage this morning is from the book of Second Chronicles. Second Chronicles um, chapter 3 verses 1 through 14. Second Chronicles Chapter 3, verses 1 through 14, the passage will be up on the screen. If you have a Bible, we would encourage you to pull that out and follow along with us. If you don't have a Bible, don't own one, there are some blue Bibles and some of the seat baskets in front of you. You're encouraged to take one of those, and then you can take it home with you, uh, and that can be your Bible. I was thinking the other day that a really great white elephant gift would be giving someone a Where's Waldo book, but there's no Waldo in there. Waldo ain't in there at all. Um, so you're just looking and looking and looking, and it kind of occurred to me that this passage is kind of like that. You might be thinking, I don't see Christmas in this, this passage. Uh, Waldo ain't in there, but hang in, hang in there and see what happens, okay? So Second Chronicles chapter 3, verses 1 through 14. If you are physically able to stand, please stand for the reading of God's word. Starting in verse 1. Then Solomon began to build the house of the Lord in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah, where the Lord had appeared to David his father, at the place that David had appointed on the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. He began to build in the second month of the fourth year of his reign. These are Solomon's measurements for building the house of God. The length in cubits of the old standard was 60 cubits, and the breadth 20 cubits. The vestibule in the front of the nave of the house was 20 cubits long equal to the width of the house, and its height was 120 cubits. He overlaid it on the inside with pure gold. The nave he lined with cypress and covered it with fine gold and made palms and chains on it. He adorned the house with settings of precious stones. The, the gold was gold of parvaim, so he lined the house with gold, its beams, its thresholds, its walls, and its doors, and he carved cherubim on the walls. And he made the most holy place. Its length corresponding to the breadth of the house was 20 cubits, and its breadth was 20 cubits. He overlaid it with 600 talents of fine gold. The weight of gold for the nails was 50 shekels, and he overlaid the upper chambers with gold. In the most holy place, he made two cherubim of wood and overlaid them with gold. The wings of the cherubim together extended 20 cubits, one wing of the one of five cubits touched the wall of the house, and the other wing of five cubits touched the wing of the other cherub. And of this cherub, one wing of five cubits touched the wall of the house, excuse me, and the other wing also of five cubits was joined to the wing of the first cherub. The wings of these cherubim extended 20 cubits. 
the cherubim stood on their feet facing the nave, and he made the veil of blue and purple and crimson fabrics and fine linen, and he worked cherubim on it. Let's pray together. Lord, this is a, actually a majestic, immensely powerful passage if we're willing to hear it and understand it and apply it. And we can't really do any of that without the help of your Holy Spirit. And so we do plead with you accordingly that there would be a supernatural working of God in our room, despite whatever condition we might be in this morning, uh, thriving, not thriving, encouraged, discouraged, excelling, uh, failing. Lord, work among us, among this diverse group. And work, Lord, even though um, at the end of the day, our love for you is not what it should be, but you can overcome that. We love you, Lord. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. When building this temple, in building this temple, King Solomon was fulfilling a promise given by God to Solomon's father, King David. King David longed to build a temple. See, 2 Samuel chapter 7, which was a hub serving the Levitical systems and structures of Israelite worship, a permanent continuation of the mobile tabernacle that preceded it. But God told David through the prophet Nathan, hey, the temple sounds outstanding, but your offspring will become king after you, and then he'll build the temple, not you. And so it was that King Solomon built the temple in continuity with the design of the tabernacle, which had served the Israelites in the wilderness, a temple that was set majestically on Mount Moriah. Remember, all of our Advent messages are taking place on Old Testament mountains. It was a temple that sat majestically on Mount Moriah in the midst of the promised land, far exceeding the extravagance and glory of the tabernacle. The same mountain we discussed two weeks ago where Abraham bound his own son Isaac before he was spared. However, the headline here is not the extravagance of the temple. It's the extravagance of God's grace in establishing this temple that he might meet with his people, a mediated presence, but presence nonetheless. The Israelites who wrestled with all sorts of sinfulness and idolatry despite their status as God's chosen people, they had no business meeting with the holy God at all. Sin breaks the vertical relationship we have with God, causing separation. In fact, because of God's holiness, because of his set-apartness, sinful, unholy human beings cannot be in God's immediate presence and live to tell about it. Thus the grace of the temple, thus the grace of this building, a sure sign of God graciously remaining with his people despite their unfaithfulness without disregarding his holiness. Only the Levitical priests 
could enter the temple's holy place after consecrating themselves before the Lord, purifying themselves before making sacrifices to God on account of their own sin, and then on account of the people. And only the high priest could enter the most holy place, this cubicle space in the innermost part of the temple guarded by separate doors and a veil. And the high priest could only enter the most holy place on the annual day of atonement, passing through the veil into the immediate presence of God. And there the priest would sprinkle blood on the mercy seat atop the Ark of the Covenant, a purification offering on behalf of himself, a bull, and then on behalf of the Israelites from a goat. And then the priest would confess Israel's sin before God, sin that was accumulated throughout the entire year, and then confer it upon a second scapegoat that was released into the wilderness, symbolically bearing the confessed sin on Israel's behalf. Israelites didn't deserve God's presence, compromising it on account of their sinfulness, and yet God, being so merciful and so gracious, still made a way to dwell among them and forgive their sin. Which brings us to the Gospel of John, chapter 2. One of the more remarkable scenes in the entire Bible. Jesus, righteously angry on account of seeing merchants abuse the Jerusalem temple during the Passover celebration drives the merchants out with the whip of cords, pouring out their coins and overturning their tables along the way. And in response to a question from some Jewish onlookers, probably temple authorities, about the, the purpose or the sign for his actions, Jesus tells them in chapter 2, verse 19, destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up. Take the whole thing out, raise it to the ground, three days I'll rebuild it. To which the temple authorities responded, it has taken us 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? And then in verse 21 we get it. We get this editorial comment from the author, John, which feels something like a whisper. But he, hey guys, he, uh, that is Jesus, he was actually speaking about the temple of his body. The Babylonians had destroyed Solomon's temple during their siege of Jerusalem in 587, 586 B.C. And then eventually, Zerubbabel led this post exilic rebuild of what's often called the second temple, which was then cyclically tinkered with and then defiled for about 400 years by Gentile rulers and then eventually seized by King Herod. And the concern was that Herod was just going to, he was just going to tear it down. But he actually began to restore it, to refurbish it, an ongoing effort that had taken decades by the time that Jesus made this three days prophecy. 
So you can understand the skepticism here from the temple authorities and the obvious clue that the um, nature of Jesus' prophecy had gone right over their heads. But should it go over our heads here in 2022? Probably not, especially if we start reading the Gospel of John at the beginning and pay close attention. This is John chapter 1, verse 14, a verse we referred to last week as well. In the Word, that is Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Here's what dwelt means, more technically, if you take a close look at the Greek. It means that Jesus became flesh and tabernacled among us. I'm not making that up. And entempled among us, which is wild. And you see what we're being told. Formerly, God dwelt among and met with his people by means of a tabernacle and then a temple. But Jesus was born into this world, taking on human flesh and literally walking among us while remaining fully God. And in doing so, he was bringing those who witnessed him into the personal presence of God in a way that outclassed even the experience of the high priest in the most holy place on the Day of Atonement. Because we're aware of this in John chapter 1, now we do know what Jesus was getting at in John chapter 2. I am the temple. I'm the temple. And though you will eventually destroy this temple, I will raise it up again in three days. Temple is a better Halloween costume choice than you probably imagine, given their tendency to get sacked. I mean, if you're a temple, you're going to get destroyed at some point. Some of you should consider that next year if you're trying to bring some, some dark but sophisticated biblical humor to your coworkers and neighbors. Yeah, I'm a temple. Figure that out. And Jesus anticipated, as you can see here, he anticipated the full temple experience. Referring here in John chapter 2 to his death on the cross, as well as his resurrection on the third day. Why the cross, though? Why the cross? I mean... When Jesus was born, it meant that God had come to earth. As Jesus himself puts it in John chapter 14, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And in being the temple, Jesus made it possible for his followers to have dinner with the God of the universe and, and even to physically to touch him. Access totally unhindered by a veil. I mean, that, that's pretty good. So why the cross? Here's a really huge hint in Matthew chapter 27, verse 51. As Jesus died on the cross, taking his, his final breath, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. 
the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Curtain as in the very veil we talked about earlier, guarding the most holy place. In dying, Jesus tore the veil because it turns out that Jesus was interested in more than securing temporary access to God for a few people who happened to be alive during his earthly ministry. It turns out that Jesus was on a mission to secure eternal access into the immediate presence of God for all who repent of their sins and put their hope in Jesus. In fact, as Greg Lanier puts it, throughout Jesus' entire ministry, he systematically demolished barriers symbolized in the temple apparatus that had kept people from entering the presence of God. The inner curtain was simply the last barrier. Jesus' death accomplished this because he's actually even more than the temple. He is that, but he's, he's even more than that. He's the final sacrifice. His own blood sprinkled on the mercy seat that we might be forgiven while simultaneously bearing our sin like the scapegoat. And oh, by the way, he's also the high priest presenting himself to the Father as the final sacrifice. You can find a very beautiful meditation on all of this in the book of Hebrews chapter 9, which is one of my very favorite chapters in the entire Bible. This is chapter 9, verses 11 and 12, just a snapshot. You've got to read the whole thing. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of his creation, Christ entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. So then on account of Jesus, the temple, the sacrifice, the scapegoat, the high priest, on account of Jesus, the people of God can go beyond this veil into the most holy place, approaching the throne of grace with confidence. Wait for it. Always certain that we will receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. But here's the best part. Are you ready for this? When Jesus returns, this advent, this coming that we're waiting for and, and longing for even now, he will bring his people into the promised land, into the new and heavenly Jerusalem. It's an apparently mountainous land indicated in Revelation chapter 22. Uh, where we're told that the New Jerusalem contains a river flowing down from it, basically through Main Street. But this land far eclipses the glory of Mount Moriah, and it far eclipses the glory of King Solomon's temple, so much so, so much so, Revelation 21, verse 16, that the dimensions of this new city lie four square. The length, the same as its width and height. 
You didn't think measurements could preach, did you? But do you see that the city is a cube? Do you see that the city is a cube? Do you see that the entire city is therefore the most holy place? Because God dwells in this city, in the immediate presence of the city's inhabitants, in the fullness of his glory. And the new Jerusalem, it doesn't contain a temple proper, Revelation 21, verse 22, because the Lord God Almighty is there, and he is the temple. That presence is going to be something, isn't it? It's going to be this this worshipful presence that the people of God will ultimately experience with unspeakable joy for all of eternity. We actually have access to this presence now. We don't even have to wait to some degree. We have access to it now through, through prayer, through scripture, through community with other believers in the household of God, through the powerful work of the Holy Spirit who, who lives in his people. Just doing some reading. I have John Owen's book, Communion with God, on my bedside table right now. I was reminded that John Owen buried all 11 of his children and his first wife because of various illnesses. And the thing that got him through it, in his words, I'm I'm butchering this, was basically beholding the presence of God and his glory in prayer and communion in Scripture. That's what he says. So we have access to that right now that apparently can keep you going even while you're bearing your own children and your first wife. But a day is coming in which we will ascend the heavenly mountain and live there forever, working and playing and feasting, all of it in the immediate presence of God. And you can be there. You can be there. You can go beyond the veil if you repent of your self-oriented ways. The pride that got us expelled from Eden And put your hope in Jesus, that he might bear your sin, the ultimate scapegoat, and give you everlasting forgiveness. Listen, I I wish I could do even more to describe the splendor of God's presence that awaits us. That's probably my, my deepest source of discontentment as a pastor, is that the English language just kind of fails us at this point. It's inadequate. It's not very good at describing cosmic beauty, but it is Christmas, right? So here's one attempt, and maybe this is something. Lauren St. Pierre, a 24-year-old military wife and mother of a toddler, she was sipping wine on the back deck of her neighbor's house, a neighbor who seemed to have limitless energy, while raising teenagers, keeping her house spotless, and even volunteering in the community. So during their conversation, Lauren asked her neighbor, how do you do this? How is this possible? So the neighbor, the woman, walked her inside to the kitchen and poured a small pile of meth onto the counter. And then with help from the neighbor, Lauren inhaled. Soon, and now I'm quoting directly from this article, soon she felt a surge of energy race through her body. That night, she hit the bars with friends, 
guzzling cranberry and vodka cocktails at 4 a.m., Lauren cleaned the baseboards of her house and imagined her next hit. And the next hits indeed came, and then they came again. Her habits ultimately exploding into a full-blown addiction that landed her in jail just two years later on account of being a meth cook. But here's the twist. I'm not telling you all of this mainly to focus on Lauren's story, although you will be very encouraged to know that Lauren is now out of jail and remarried, and she's been drug-free for almost 10 years. I am telling you this to let you know about Lauren's son, Ethan, raised by Lauren's mother, Tracy, while Lauren was in prison. On visiting days, Tracy would take Ethan with her to the prison so he could spend time with his mom. And basically, Lauren would spend a lot of time just physically holding him. And then Tracy would buy Lauren hot dogs. And the boy got powdered sugar donuts from the vending machines. The prison had an outdoor playground with a dinosaur slide, and swings. And on one occasion, Ethan told Tracy, I'm quoting from the article again, I just love this place. It's my favorite place in the world because I get to see my mommy. Ethan's favorite place in the world was a prison. And clearly there's so much indescribable sadness baked into those words. I mean, this should not be a young boy's favorite place. But it was. And you just heard why. Because his mommy was there. And he was in her presence. Spending time in the presence of his mom, being held, and eating powdered donuts was so wonderful that a prison became his favorite place in the world. Imagine then what it will be like when we go beyond the veil and live in the immediate presence of the Almighty God who calls us his beloved children. The joy will be unspeakable regardless of the location. We could find ourselves in the Sahara Desert with the Lord and still be blessed and still say to one another, isn't this the greatest place in the world? But in this case, the location will itself be rather spectacular as well. A city, as the text says, with walls built of jasper, the city itself being pure gold, like clear glass, Foundations of the wall of the city adorned with every kind of jewel. And the twelve gates are twelve pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. A place where God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor cry. 
nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. If a mom's presence can make the Vidalia State Prison a magical place for Ethan, cannot wait to see what we will experience in God's presence in the New Jerusalem. Amen. Every week at City Church, we participate in the Lord's Supper together. Speaking of where's Waldo, you might be wondering, where is that table? It's over there. And so our setup will work a little bit differently this morning. First, let me explain these communion elements. The night that Jesus was to be betrayed, he shared a meal with his disciples. And during the meal, he took the bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body broken for you. Do this whenever you eat of it in remembrance of me. And then in a similar manner, after the meal, Jesus took the cup, and as he poured it, he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink of it in remembrance of me. And Paul says, as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes again. We're proclaiming the one who is the temple, the one who is the sacrifice, the one who is the scapegoat, the one who is the high priest. We're proclaiming the one that makes it possible for us to commune with the living God even now, but then in eternity when we ascend to heavenly Mount Zion. If you are here and you are a follower of Jesus, some of you are, are thriving followers of Jesus, heads held high, you're encouraged. Some of you are following Jesus and you're very discouraged. You feel as though you're in a spiritual valley. This meal is for all of you. In fact, it's especially for people who are hurting, who need their heads to be lifted up a little bit by the Lord as you participate in this meal and remember his grace. So you in particular, please come. And if you're here this morning and you don't profess to be a follower of Jesus, we are so glad that you are here. I hope that you come back next week and the week after that and, and, and wrestle with these things and have conversations and, and go to our small groups and all of that. This is a family with open doors. Instead of participating in a meal that you wouldn't say at this point that you believe in, we would encourage you to keep reflecting, keep, keep wondering this morning. In a moment, I'm going to pray, and that will be our dismissal for communion. And then at, at that point, um, when you're ready, you can get up out of your chair and come forward. There will be an elder or a deacon on either side of this table holding a bowl. Um, and when you approach them, they will take a wafer and put it in your hand. These are gluten-free wafers, so you know that. And then you can pivot and take a cup of juice off of this table. This is, again, a little bit different for us, um, so work with us as we, as we go through it. You can take the elements when you receive them, or you can go back to your chair. You can kneel up here, however you want to do it. Um, and if we start running short on things, we will replenish our supply. And so hang out with us, too, if that happens. But we'll do our very best to serve you in the show hospitality as much as possible. So let me pray for us, and then we'll be dismissed. There'll be a, a space for contemplative silence and prayer, and then some music. You can come at any time. We do praise you, Lord, for this meal, which actually ushers us into that presence that we were just talking about, for the sake of remembering, yes, remembering the gospel, but also for the sake of the Holy Spirit working in, in unique ways and unique power to, to fortify our faith, to build us up. And Father, I pray especially for people who really don't, aren't experiencing your presence very much right now. Lord, they would say, hey, I'm, I'm following Jesus, but he seems absent. He seems so distant. Would you minister to them 
in particular this morning, giving giving them even just a little glimpse of yourself to help shore them along their journey. We love you, Lord. Help us deal honestly with our sin this morning. Reveal what needs to be revealed for the sake of confession and repentance and for the sake of pursuing reconciliation with our brothers and sisters in Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
join us. We're going to sing some songs together. Let's sing out. Let's sing with joy. Let's rejoice in the Lord this morning.
Thank you all for being here. It's been such an honor and a joy and a privilege to get to worship with you this morning. My name's Ryan, one of the pastors here. And uh, just a, a quick reminder that the next three Sundays, we'll have a one service at 10 a.m. We'd love to see you here. That includes Christmas morning, a 10 a.m. service, as well as a 5 p.m. Christmas Eve service. We'd love to see you here. And can we say thank you again to the choir, to the children's ministry? To the band. Thank you all for all your hard work. Our benediction this morning comes from Ephesians 3. Paul writes this. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. And sing one more song together as we go out. Go tell it on the mountain, over the hills and everywhere. Go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is born. Go tell it on the mountain, over the and everywhere go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is born while shepherds kept their watching or silent flocks by night behold throughout the heavens there shone a holy light go tell it on the The shepherds feared and trembled when low above the earth rang out the angel chorus that hailed the 